then there it goes. There goes the thumb. There goes the, the, the insufficient or insignificant thumb. So I got two thumbs, and off we go. I, I agreed? We're ready to go? Okay, well, let's take the glasses off because I can't see. Uh, very fast, back on August the 7th, we're still on the summer schedule. We're doing really well, both sides of us. Dave's building all kinds of stuff, and, and Lori's building all kinds of stuff. I'm kidding about some of that. But we got a lot done in, the, in this summer, more than we ever have before, so we're pretty pleased with that, and hopefully we can finish up a great deal more as we go. I, I recognize a bunch of people are struggling in the uh, continental United States because of the excessive heat. And I would like to tell you about Goodall's incompleteness theorem because of that, because I hear over and over and over again, this is record-breaking heat. We have a sample size mathematically of climate of 50 years, essentially. That's all we have. If there's 6,000 years of since creation, since Adam, and that's my position, and people disagree with me, then we have 0.008% uh, of a sample. That's all we have. And Goodell says you have to have all the samples in ever to prove, in ever, if you're ever to prove something is true. So there's no possibility you can prove that we have an acceleration of anything with that small a sample size. But they never want to acknowledge that. And it's sometimes very frustrating to me. The logic is completely unsound. Okay. Enough of that. July the 24th, 2022, lecture discussion number 178 on the book of Joel. Daniel, Revelation, Ecclesiastes, Job, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and Genesis 15. Are we out of Genesis 15? No. There, are, there awaits an overabundance of material requiring a lengthy uh, amount of energy and inspection. Genesis 15, 15. Now, as for you, you shall be, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. That's something that Christ, Melchizedek, God says to Abraham in Genesis 15. So that's God again. Jesus Christ Melchizedek says this to Abraham. And he says it after the animals have been killed, but before the body resurrections, the joining of the cut in two of the heifer, the goat, and the ram. That's what he has done there. So he has, Abraham has killed them based on, not based on, as in, in obedience to God telling him to do so. And then, of course, there's this resurrection that occurs. In my, my opinion, I think it's obvious. As you know, if you've listened to even a short time, maybe 20 minutes, you're, you'll get a 20-minute merit badge, by the way. Oh! Yeah. In the mail. We mail them. Okay, we really don't. But we should, shouldn't we? We should have merit badges if you list 20 minutes. If you listen for 20 minutes. Uh, you're going to know if you just a small amount, a small sample of what I say. You're going to be you're, you're going to know that I am confident that the animals were resurrected there by God, Jesus Christ, Melchizedek. Notice how I'm saying that God, Jesus Christ, Melchizedek. I'm saying they're all the same thing, and they absolutely are. And that's they were resurrected at Genesis 15:17. The solution to sin and death was revealed to Abraham and to who else? Who else was there? You, if you said vultures, congratulations. And he tries to drive them away, but they keep returning. So the solution to sin and death is revealed by Christ when he resurrects those animals to Abraham and the vultures because Satan and his vultures always come when these astonishing revelations are given by Christ Jesus. That's when they show up. They're there to contest them or they're there to learn from them and adjust their, their, their structures. And, of course, Christ is the angel of the Lord. So now ask the obvious or the most obvious of the obvious question. Do you really think that Satan left after the communion bread and wine service when Christ does that as Melchizedek? Do you think he left? The first supper, and remember I say there's a first supper and a second supper. The first supper officiated by God, Jesus Christ, Melchizedek. That's what happened there. You think Satan said, oh, that's cool, I'm leaving now. Or did Satan and his demonic army let me say it this way. Did they just fold the tent and go away? After Abraham says, I'll take the lost souls, you take the goods, but give some of the goods to these three guys. And who are those three guys? We'll cover that in a minute. But do you think that, that, that if, this, if I'm correct, 
and the demonic army was there, and the angelic realm, the the unfallen, were there. The faithful angels were there. They were all there. This is Genesis 15. He is going to give the solution to sin and death to Abraham. How many angels were there? And do you think that after the bread and wine communion service, the first one that, that Christ does, do you think Satan just said, okay, that's good, I'm leaving? Or did he stay for the entirety of Genesis 15? So, and it's, this, it's being manifested, it's being made known. Remember, the problem is, is that there did not seem to be a solution to sin and death. And now one has been given in Genesis 15. It's been displayed for everyone who would want to see it, to look at it, to witness it. And Genesis 15:15 15, 15 answers and refers to Genesis 58, where Abraham asked Christ Melchizedek, How shall I know I will inherit, be given, possess salvation, or eternal life? Now, I've added a little bit to that, but it's all... It's all in there. Certainly the promise of resurrection unto eternal life in the new city of Jerusalem, Revelation 21, 1 through 4, John 11, 25, is without controversy the cornerstone of the answer to Abraham's question. As we have previously discussed, resurrection has replaced creation. That's Genesis 1.31. The very good of creation, Genesis 1.31, identifies the conclusion of creation. That's when it announces that the creation has completed. It is done. The resurrections, the resurrections, notice the plural, then now supplant the creation. They replace it, if you want to think of it that way. They rise to the forefront. The times of the resurrectings, if you want to prefer, if you prefer, if that's how you wish to say it, that's perfectly acceptable. So, notice that the audience of Genesis 15:17, Revelation, would all would most assuredly be the entirety of the angelic host, both fallen and unfallen. Did I say that correctly? There's a revelation coming in Genesis 15:17. Okay. And without question, the entirety of the angelic host would be there, fallen and unfallen. They have to be there. And Psalm 10, 6 through 7, and 10, 11 through 13, and Job 1 through 9, 11, and Job 2, 3 through 5, they all present Satan's premise. And Genesis 15 is destroying Satan's premise. So you know Satan would be there, and you know the angels that are tormented by Satan, the faithful angels, they would also be there. Excuse me. You see, included in Satan's lie is the argument that free will can only be exhibited by the choosing of evil. We've made that discussion many, many times, and that you'll see it today all the time. The only way you can demonstrate free will of any kind is to choose evil. And that's the underlayment of Genesis 3-4. That is exactly what Satan is saying to the woman when he is trying to lure her into taking from the fruit. He is saying the only evidence of free will is if you choose disobedience and rebellion. Sin. And, and this, as you know, this lie of Satan, that is in Ezekiel 28.16. He has repeated it everywhere. It's called the abundance of his traffic. And that is his lie spreading throughout all of the creation, including the angelic creation. And if the entire angelic realm is watching... And I believe it's obvious that they are. And they're hearing Genesis 15, 1 through 21. So they're hearing and seeing all of Genesis 15. They've all gathered. Then how about the human realm? Because the only human being there is Abraham. But all of the angels would be there, in my view. Just as they are when Job is attacked by Satan. Just as they are when this confrontation of Christ, Melchizedek God, and the king of Sodom are occurring. They're all there. Matthew 4, Luke 4, Mark 1. Angels gather to see this play out, if you will. They're always paying attention. But if the angelic realm is the only one of its entirety that is there, then what do we say of the human realm and and the animal kingdom? Because there are, after all, three principalities to consider. I, I have accounted for the angelic realm, but what of the human realm? What of the animal realm? Did... Any animals come to watch that? Or is it only those animals that were there that that Christ had Abraham sacrifice? Again, the 
extraordinary event is the resurrection of those animals that were sacrificed. Genesis 15 is the promise God has made to mankind that believes. You believe, so this is the promise. Joel 2.32, you believe, Genesis 15.6, this is the promise. It's the promise of resurrection. And he even says it. God, you will go to your fathers in peace. Note the problems. Why, what is peace? He and his fathers that won't fight? You will go to your fathers in peace, he says to Abraham. What's the peace that Abraham has? Again, is he, is he going to go to, uh, they're going to have arguments in the intermediate state? No, the peace is, is that you can be assured of resurrection. Because the assurance of resurrection was demonstrated in 15, Genesis 15. So, just for today, note the problems that both Abraham and Job present to Satan's lie. Because they both have the same characteristic. They're two men who did something. They're two men who believed God. Who freely chose to believe God. And Satan said that's impossible. The only way you can demonstrate free will is to choose evil. Again, that's the underlayment. That is what he said to the woman. That is why she took the fruit. She was, she was deceived. She says, I was deceived, and that's what deceived her. Again, in my most humble of humblest opinions. Anyway, Genesis 9, the Noadic covenant, that does not look like good news for the animals. Genesis 9, 3, God says to Noah, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Now, how does God define lives? Every living thing, everything that moves, that every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. See, that, that is a constriction, isn't it? That is a, uh, a uh, how do I put it here? i got to come up with a word and my mind is not very... Do it anymore. That seems conditional. Every moving thing that lives. Not every moving thing. Just the moving thing that lives shall be food for you. So, how does God define lives? And, and we know how he does it. He does it in Genesis 2.7. He does it in Ecclesiastes 12.7. He does it in Ecclesiastes 3.18 and 19. He does it in Genesis 7.15, 7.22. He does it all over the place. 1.20, 1.30. All of those verses, 124, they all contribute to the definition of life as God defines life. He gets to define life. How come he gets to define it and we don't get to define it? It's because he's the one that created it. So he has the authority. We do not have the authority. Keep in mind that Noah was forbidden to eat flesh with its life, he says to him, Genesis 9.4. That is its blood. You, the blood and the life are tied together. Leviticus 17.11, 17.13. Whoever violates this direct order of eating flesh that has the blood in it, whoever does that is cut off by God. Leviticus 17.14. And you might consider this if you eat a rare steak. Just saying. I, of course, eat steak well done. No blood. Because I'm obviously so much more holy than all of you pagans out there. That will only eat a rare steak. I've never understood it. Uh, I just uh, now I can't taste anything, so it doesn't matter. But I don't disagree. But it looks bloody to me, and I am in authority over this debate as of today. <laughs> okay, where where am I now? Animals. I got animals, and it doesn't look good. It doesn't look great at Genesis nine one through four. They become food. They are now going to be eaten, killed and eaten. But at Genesis 15, 17, and again, Genesis 9, 14 through 17, things are looking up here, both figuratively and literally. They're looking up because God at 15, 17 resurrects those animals that are killed and sacrificed, doesn't he? So they get to see resurrection. I, again, I'm asking, how many animals are with Melchizedek, Christ God, when he is telling Abraham to take animals and cut them in two. How many animals are there? And what kind of understanding did they have? Backing back to Mark 1. How does God communicate with his animals is what I'm saying. Does he do it mentally? Does he do it vocally? 
Does he do it both? Do they understand him? Did he make animals that can't understand him? Obviously, he did not. And again, the animals are going to bear a tremendous burden of suffering here. And so does he bring them forward? And does he accumulate them? Because he does things like that. You know he's going to bring birds and beasts to eat the flesh of captains that oppose him in Revelation and Ezekiel. And in nine in nine fourteen through seventeen of Genesis in Genesis fifteen seven, here comes the, the we've had bad news. Here comes the good news. The good news is that God will include all of the animals in His everlasting unconditional covenants with Noah and with Abraham. Unconditional being the key word. And that, of course, brings forth many many questions. The most prominent of the many many questions would be the compensa- compensation aspect. In my opinion, just to tell you, if I sacrifice a piece, a chess piece in a chess game, I'm hoping for compensation. Now, my chess skills are not not uh, all that good. I get beaten by 2,000 level computers like a rag doll. And I'll make a move and thinking I'm going to get compensation based on maybe a better position or maybe I have moves down the road that are going to be effective. And I find out the computer is still smarter than me by a great deal. So I never get my compensation. I do sometimes. Sometimes I beat the computer. My, I, I beat it three times in a row here lately. And I'm very pleased with myself. But then it comes back and just smacks me. So uh, my humility is guaranteed. But So that's what I'm talking about is compensation. What I mean to say is the fairness, the justice, the goodness of God. How is that displayed in the eating of animals and the killing of animals? How is that displayed? Because that's Psalm 36, 5 through 7. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgment, judgment's a great deep, O Lord. You save man and animals. That's what he says, 36, 5 through 7. So obviously the salvation of animals, the immortality of animals is infinite compensation. Psalm 36, 5, 7 defines the mechanism for compensation. There has to be compensation. He, he announces it in Genesis 36, I'm sorry, Psalm 36, 5 through 7. With, with all that said, I, I still nonetheless wish to uh, consider the complexity of this current fallen state that's being imposed on the animals who did nothing. Romans 5, 14. They're the innocent. They did not sin. For example, animals have been subjected to unprecedented suffering by evil human beings. It's unprecedented. They have been vivisectioned, for example, which is the Latin roots vivus and secto, sectio, meaning alive and cut into sections. So dissection of a living animal. That's being done today, being done all over the world. It's been done it's a surgical scientific experimentation usually performed on the animal's neurological system and has been utilized for thousands of years. And China overwhelmingly is the world leader in our era using vivisectioning as a means of harvesting human organs now. That's what they do. And they sell them. And guess who they sell them to? I've made that comment before. Just figure out who buys these organs from these, these men and women that have been dissected alive. Oh, they, they have anesthetized them. They, they will tell you. So that makes it humane. Okay, now I have to figure out where this goes. I just got mad at the Chinese. Thank you, young lady. Did I break this? Okay, it's still there, but it's not clicking very well. Okay. Your hand. This is a new record, isn't it? I think it is. After thousands of these, I finally threw the glass of water across the room. Wow. 
oh no, let's go with threw it across the room in, in a fit of rage and exclamation. Yeah. It didn't. Yeah. Don't ruin it. Somebody will believe me. Somewhere, maybe. Okay. Yeah. I'll get the glass later. It went under the table over here. So I didn't, I was quite professional. That's not good. I, I think I grabbed this and broke it. Good. I got it. I got it back on. I just had to watch your watch your toes there. Under there. I got it. I'll just leave it there, Terry. Don't bother. This never would have happened. I think the, the broke of it hit here, and then the, and then the thing just bounced over there, tear. So it should be good. Okay. I wish I knew where I was now. Okay. Yeah. China is selling this stuff, and we're buying it. This country is buying it, and 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 this kind of evil is rare, but it's happening dramatically, increasingly in our particular lifetimes. And it's not detoured the NBA or Nike or Hollywood in the slightest. They don't care. They want the money. You do whatever you want. You do the most evil things. We won't care. Buy our products. And that is a very difficult thing to reconcile. Medical experimentation, that's merely one facet of what has been imposed on the animal kingdom. Obviously, millions and millions and millions of animals are slaughtered and eaten so that humans can live every single day. Again, Genesis 9, animals replace the original Edenic food source. And the why question then comes to bear. Why has God replaced the original Edenic food source with animals? Because He did. And you have, this is again, Goodell. Goodell, his incompleteness theorem. His, God's omniscience and his infinity eliminates any other possibility. The only possibility, once man had fallen, once the flood had occurred, the only possibility is animals would become food. And again, I ask, what's their compensation for that? I understand the eternal element, the immortality. That's a wonderful compensation, but they would have always had that. So what compensation is in addition to that? In my view, I think there must be something there. Again, his omniscience eliminates any possibility and any other... There's only one, uh, one solution. Okay, once again... Uh, you hear... I'm going to get... She's, she's bringing me water, so I'm all excited about that now. I'm going to get water back. But... Um, the atheists are screaming out there, is there no other way he could have chosen? You'll see this in the, uh, especially the, the people who are devoted themselves to trying to uh, attenuate, to try to mitigate all of this. Just water from the tap would be fine, yeah. Thank you. And again, Goodell's, Goodell's incompleteness theorems are rushing forward to the breach. Jesus Christ, Melchizedek, God, being infinite, he accumulates all the equations and the factors and nothing is missing in his calculations. So when he makes a decision, he has all of this information. He doesn't have a 50-year sample size. He has an infinite understanding of every aspect that could occur. And we humans, were frail and we're finite. We can't even collect that which is to be eliminated that which he has set aside because it's flawed. He would know everything that is flawed and he would reduce his decision to the one that is not flawed in any facet, in any, comp- in any uh, complexity. Um, and we can't even figure out the ones that got, got discarded, much less all of that which uh, constitutes the solution. This is the solution to sin and death that he does. 
And questioning God, therefore, is basically stupid. Uh, most certainly, it's the height of uh, disrespect and insolence. And you see it all the time. They, again, they say, is there any other way he could have chosen? No. The answer is no. This is the only one. And again, Google establishes that as a mathematical calculation. And now he's just, he, God did it. Goodell discovered it. Anyhow, the process of questioning him, offering our little meager, incomplete, defective alter, alternatives to the infinite creator God, you just can't, that, that does not withstand even elementary logic. You have to find yourself, when you say, why, why has God done it? Couldn't he have done it my way, this way? Couldn't he have kept, when he flooded everything, couldn't he have reconstituted the Garden of Eden and started all over again? And the answer is what? No. Can't be done. Why not? Well, you don't have all of the information. You don't have all of the possibilities. You don't, you can't even imagine anything that is close to being complete. Back to the weather. We try to, we try to say things so stupid in this country. This is the worst weather ever. Well, you have no sample size. You don't know that. You don't know what's coming. You know nothing. But yet you make statements like that as if they are fact, and they cannot be fact. They are suppositions. They are estimates or they're guesses. And as you know, the climate science, scientific community has been wrong continually. They're, what they see as uh, a result, a cause and effect, is very likely just natural variability. But they won't account for that because you can't control people with natural variability. You have to have cause and effect. Something traceable to a cause. And they pick all kinds of things. As you know, everything from cow farts to... I saw a picture the other day when there was a train load full of coal and they were bringing the train in. And somebody had written underneath it, uh, fuel for electric cars. Because that's exactly what it is. Uh, and so it's nonsense. There's, there's just... <sighs> the political class and the, and the Hollywood media... And I don't separate the media from Hollywood because both of them are performance-based. That media has totally lost all credibility because it has such an agenda that it can't disguise. They are rabid. And those are the kinds of people that say that God is a cosmic sadist. Anyhow, where am I? I've ranted a little bit. There exists no poverty of those who shout questions at God as illogical and as disrespectful as it is. And, and again, they insult him. They call him evil. Okay, I'm going to end here. No, I'm not. But I'm going to end this section. I'm going to do it temporarily because I never finish anything. In this segment of today's lectures, animals are generally have been property and food for thousands of years. Their freedom's mostly taken. And, and, and why this is the only way, the one way, and how this is for the sake of animals, we have to... I believe we have to figure that out. And again, Goodall's incompleteness theorem agrees with Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful place for Kurt Goodall to be in 1931. That was fantastic. He had no, he had no choice but to be right once he figured out he was agreeing with Christ. And I believe he did figure that out. But even if he didn't, fantastic for him. You agree with Christ, you're in really good positioning. Acts 4.12 and John 14.6. Wonderful place to be. He says, I am the way, the truth, the light. No one comes to the Father, the life. I'm sorry, I said light. No one comes, and light is correct too. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is only one solution to sin. One that accounts for every possible calculation and every possible contingency. There's only one solution that will do that. And that's what he's saying. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. That is the truth. Notice that Christ's name, again, there, there is no salvation in any other. And Christ's name, Yeshua, Yeshua, is Hebrew for salvation. That is his actual name. Hi, Mr. Salvation. We say Jesus Christ. That is salvation anointed. Uh, salvation and uh, Messiah. But when we see him, his name is salvation in the English. There is no other salvation. There's only one. And again, Goodell, Goodell's incompleteness theorem. 
And notice again the singularity being emphasized. I am the, I'm going to change it. I am the one, I am the only way, the one only truth, and the one only life. That's me, and there isn't any other possibility because I can account for all of them, and I have rejected them except this one. Okay? So, now we can begin the real lecture. This first seven pages that I just rattled off was the introduction to next week's lecture. Or not next week, August the 7th. So I'm preparing you for what we'll, we will do then. But I had to make a, a diversion here. I had to go off the beaten trap, 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 trap. I would pick up the water, but I'm scared. I'm going to chase rabbits. And this is my rabbit. Remember, he has a big drum that he's hitting. And I am amazing. No, that's, that's, they don't have tails like that. Little tail. Okay, so that's what, that's what we're doing today. It's going to go down rabbit trails. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be answering questions maybe today. Notice the maybe? Yeah. Because these questions have been accumulating and they're causing me to feel guilt. Ooh, I'm going to try this with two hands. Ooh, I should put it down and put two hands. Yeah. Because uh, I've had no time uh, to answer the letters and the email-y thingies. We've been too way too busy and so today's the day maybe. Okay, I always have that caveat there, right? Disclaimer. So, uh, uh, once again, the protocol that I'm going to use is based on the assumption that if somebody takes the time to write out a question, and I actually have a letter, if somebody takes the time to write out a question, then there's at least somebody else who has the same question. And, and that, of course, would now make two people who listen to me. How about that? And there's two people because there's always math. And we have, what we have today, we have Kathleen from Illinois, and she wants to do Judges 19. And we have Bill the Cow from Kentucky. He wants to do Genesis 6. We have Genesis 6, 4. We have Daniel from Anchorage. He wants to do Genesis 3. And we have Gabriel. Where is Gabriel from? I, I, I wasn't positive. Is he from Pennsylvania? Okay. He wants to do 1 Samuel 17. So... We got all of that. And Kathleen, we'll start with her from Illinois, is examining the Judges 19, Judges 20, Judges 21 war that was launched by the division, let me say that again, the division of the body of a murdered woman. Bloody stump, bloody stump in the mail. And she wrote me a letter saying, I'm, I'm struggling with this. Now, a Levite priest is the one that divided her. So let, let me make that clear. And I, I could clarify the woman was murdered by the sons of Belial and discovered by the Levite priest, who then recognized that a great wickedness had been done to her, and no such evil had been done in Israel since the exodus from Egypt. That's Judges 19.30. And the Levite priest then divided Genesis 15, Genesis 15, Genesis 15. Did I say Genesis 15? The Levite priest divided the body of the ravaged woman into 12 pieces, sending them to the tribes of Israel. That's what he did. He, we don't know for sure. He could have done it a, a multitude of ways. We're not positive. I don't have his... I'm going to try this again. I don't have his uh, accounted, accounting. But we, we will have a speculatory uh, advancement on that particular issue. Uh, but he's going to send them to the tribes of Israel. And then when the tribes of Israel got them, they likewise immediately realized that this was sodomite dissection. This is vivisection. The woman was dissected alive and left alive. And she was able, being dissected, to walk and die in the doorway where the Levite priest found her. And Kathleen wants to know why. And there is some evidence that the murdered woman was pregnant. 
In any case, God had destroyed Sodom for this great wickedness, Genesis 13, 13, uh, Luke 17, 20 through 37. So, this isn't new, but it was hadn't happened since they had left Egypt. What is the great wickedness here? Obviously, placing Sodom alongside Judges 19 is absolutely essential. The sons of Belial is therefore the linchpin of information. When you get all, when you get Sodom and Judges 19 together, and you figure out who the sons of Belial are, then you've got enough information to go forward. Belial is attached to Satan. It's one of his many names. Second Corinthians 6:15. So the sons of Belial are the sons of Satan. The sons of Belial are the principal agents of evil at both Sodom and Jebeah. Again, Judges 19 and Sodom. They are the, the surrounding of the house in both. The, 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 what they do is remarkably similar. And there are some out there who are saying Judges 19 is just a reproduction, a poorly designed one uh, for Sodom. No, it's an absolutely repeating of the same kinds of behavior. Belial is rooted, connected to Baal. So when you say Belial, you say Baal eventually. Baal means literally rebel, rebellious one, which is obviously Satan. John 8.44, Isaiah 24.21, Ezekiel 28. So what were Satan's sons attempting to do to this woman by dissecting a pregnant woman alive? What were they trying to do? What What was their accomplishment? What's their motive? What's their intent? What is their ultimate end? And they're the sons of Satan. What does that mean? Just people who like Satan? Hey, I'm a son of Satan. Or is there something more to it than that? Why did the nation of Israel attack with the intention of exterminating the tribe of Benjamin? The tribe of Benjamin is protecting the ones that did this. They're protecting the sons of Belial. And and the rest of Israel said, we have to kill them all. And the sons of Belial are the pilaster, if you will, upon which all of the motives reside. So when you figure out who they are and what they're thinking, then you've got all of the pieces, I believe. And these sons of Belial are unprecedented evil beings. That's what the Bible says. Never seen this evil. They are unprecedented since the time of the Exodus. Uh, And they are also physically powerful. That makes me interested. They're able to fire stones at great distances, killing their targets. So they can, they sling stones. And they are able to kill targets at great distances. The 700 sons of Satan, when they're attacked by the tribe of Judah, of of many, many thousand, they killed 22,000 men of Judah. 700 killed 22,000. And there's no evidence that any of the 700 were, were even wounded. So now we're going to connect Judges 19 to who where? I got... Physically powerful sons of Satan here. I'm going to connect it to Genesis 6, the Nephilimic mutations, the mighty men of renown, the contamination, the total corruption that came onto the earth, Genesis 6.12, of which Noah was not contaminated. Did I skip a page? No. Now, Kathleen signed off her, her uh, real letter. I've got a real letter. I'm very happy. She signed off, lost and perplexed. Lost and perplexed. And uh, she was neither. She actually had it really, very, very close. Uh, Kathleen came to the correct conclusion. She, she did not need my help at all. Her instincts were accurate. Now, I'm trying to provide a little bit more additional information today. The evidence is going to cement her intuitions. But she got it. And, and I'm going to stop here because we're going to keep going. How does that make sense? For those who wish to investigate the sons of Belial, the Hebrew word Belial appears 27 times in the Old Testament. And it once in the New Testament. And so you've got to gather all 28 mentions of this, and that's going to illuminate of why, what was on the 12 divided Genesis 15 pieces. Did I say Genesis 15? When you get all the mentions of the sons of Belial, 
you're going to figure out what is going to ha- what, what what happened to that woman and why he cut her into 12 pieces and what was on each and every piece. And a, a great question here is how many sons does Satan have? And what qualifies you to be a son of Satan? That's Genesis 3.15, right? How much was Satan involved in Genesis 6? We always assume that the sons of, of, of God, the angels that, fought, that fell there, Jude 6, Jude 9, left their estate, left their tents, left their bodies, whatever you want to put in there. We always assume that they did it on their own and Satan wasn't in any way involved. Is there a possibility that Satan was not involved in what happened in Genesis 6 that caused the entire flooding of the world, considering that the world was flooded when he, was, when he fell? That's the second flood. The Noatic flood is the second flood. The first flood is Genesis 1-2. And for today, notice how the divided theme of Genesis 15 seems to be everywhere and ask, why is that? Why do we have this divided theme at Luke 12, 49-56? There's a clue. Okay. Now, you're thinking I'm leaving Kathleen's question. We're going to move along with a completely different question that is really the same question because how does the HDRP do this? I know you're thinking, how does he do it? Gabriel, he wants to add to Kathleen, and he does. He wishes for me to re-enter the mystery of Gal-Goliatha. Sorry. Gal-Goliatha, the place of the skull of Goliath that we mistakenly call Golgotha. It's called Gal-Goliatha in, in, to be more accurate. It's the place where the skull of Goliath is placed by, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> by David after he took the sword of Goliath and cut Goliath's head off. He carried it back and buried it in Jerusalem and that is where Christ placed his cross. He put, Christ put his, the place of the skull of Goliath is why and where Christ placed his cross. Christ wanted to make that crucifixion on top of the skull of Goliath. So ask, why is that? Most commentators announce Genesis 3.15 as the sole reason for this. And and I don't disagree with that. I agree that Genesis 3.15 is the primary purpose. And and logically it would be. And I think biblically it would be. However, the Bible is not just one purpose. It's not a one purpose book. It's a multifaceted, multi-layer. You peel one layer back. I've got one thing. I know that the skull is there. I got Genesis 3.15. Is that all I've got? No, I got, I got onions here. I have thousands of, of layers. And being weird way before Cliffside made me far more, far more weird. Uh, I, I want to find out Christ's other purposes for the location of Goliath's skull. And why did he include David into the process? And the tree of life is is obvious, isn't it? I just throw that one out there. So now you got two, but I, I think you got two of a thousand. And, and I always begin that there's hundreds of reasons. God is extraordinary. He's an infinite being. And he has hundreds of reasons for doing one thing. Again, Goodell's incompleteness theorems, right? I keep harping on that because it's such a powerful piece of Information. Anyway, the Goliath enigma really begins with Gath. So, here we go. Now, somehow, this is the same question as Kathleen. Hi, Kathleen. The Goliath mystery begins with Gath. It's Gath is one of the five. Count them. How many we got? Five. Five main Philistine cities. They're called the five lords of the Philistines. And other things are called the five lords of the Philistines. And we'll get to that in a minute. But those five cities are the five lords of the Philistines. Joshua 13.3, 1 Samuel 5.8. With me so far. I've got to check the time. Wow, am I doing great. Gath was the final city of the Anakim. And they, the Anakim were driven from Israel, Joshua 22, 21 through 23. And the survivors of the Anakim fled to Gath. And how many of those Anakim survivors were giants? The Anakim were a race of giants, Rutro, Genesis 6, 4. 
Another row is Genesis 14.5, which is Rephaim. They're terrible ones. They're giants. They're mighty men. And, and, and these giants in Genesis 14.5 were attacked by Shedor Laomer. And Abraham gathered 318 men to rescue Lot and the other lost souls that were taken into slavery and captivity. And Aner went with Abraham along with Eshol and Mamre. And were they Rephaim and Anakim? If they were, those, four, those three guys, then that explains how 318 guys with a bunch of giants in there were able to wipe out a massive army. So I'm just saying that, asking for a friend. Anyway, the, the Anakim that survived the Joshua Wars, they fled to where, do you suppose they went? That's right, they went to Gath. And, and no one is surprised to learn that the terrible, mighty man, giant Goliath was from Gath. I want to know, the giant men are from Gath. I want to know about the giant women, don't you? Because I'm not going to get a giant man out of a five foot two ballerina. I better have something better than that. I watch these guys that are in the NBA. They're, it turns out most of their fathers or uncles are in the NBA. And then you see the mothers of these guys that are in the NBA, and you go, oh my goodness. Okay, I'm starting to see how this all works. Again, no one is surprised to learn that the terrible, mighty man, giant Goliath was from Gath because Gath is where all the, all the giants were. Of course he would be from Gath. The question is, my favorite question when it comes to Goliath, how giant is a giant? Is a cubit a Goliath cubit or an HTRP cubit? I, it, what it is from the elbow to the middle finger. Okay. Usually they say it's about 20 inches or so. Some will say 18. Of course, it could be a five-foot guy. And so my question is, is a cubit a Goliath cubit or an HTRP cubit? HTRP, I got 17 and 5 eighths inches. Is that what Goliath got? How giant is giant? If giant is, is giant, then his cubit is not my cubit. His cubit is probably twice my cubit. It's at least 30 inches, a 30-inch cubit. The problem even gets worse because the Hebrew, the Masoretic translation, 1 Samuel 17.4, has six cubits. The King James has six cubits. I like, obviously, the fact that the King James agrees with the Hebrew Masoretic text. Yay, King James, once again. How much is a span? Because it's six cubits in a span. A span would be from here to here. I'm not a piano player. That's why I play the banjo because it's a little tiny thing. Okay? Is it a Goliath span again? Six cubits in a span? Or is it an HTRP span? I used to be five. On my draft card, I was six foot and five-eighths of an inch. I am not that today. I'm, I'm struggling to stay at 5'11". And I'm losing. The, LL, the LXX, the Septuagint, records four cubits. Which is uh, why the question, how giant is a giant? There's no standardized value here. How do I determine this? If the cubit is measured from Goliath at a 30-inch cubit, then he's between 15 and 18 feet. If a cubit is from a 5-foot man, Goliath's 6 foot. So, And you'll see both answers. So, so you have to now, what are we left with? Goliath's armor and his weaponry weighed approximately 120 to 150 pounds. And, and one would assume that Goliath was able to easily maneuver with it, that load. So he wasn't bothered by 120. He had a he got a he had two refrigerators on his back maybe, and he's running around. So how much physical power does he have? Kinetic power does he have to reproduce? I can make a computer analysis on what it would take to be agile, carrying a load of 150 pounds. And again, I, I you have to assume I believe that he was able to easily maneuver with it, and likely he was agile and very fast. He covered a lot of ground in a hurry especially so if he was 15 to 18 feet in height. Without a consistent measurement, we are left with the Bible. Oh, golly, what a shame. That's the only way we're going to be able to reach a decision. So we're in good, we're in good hands here. So we're going to begin with fear. Because fear is very important. Fear of giants. The first passage to be brought forward is obviously Numbers 13, 1, 2. 
And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel from each tribe of their fathers. You're going to send a man, every one a leader among them. That's what God said to Moses. So Moses does that. Easy, obvious question. Did omniscient God know that giants occupied much of the land of Canaan? Did you hear that omniscient part? How about outside of time? Did God know there were a bunch of giants there when he said, you send 12 men to go go scout out the land? Why did God send 12 men to go scout out the land? Why? Remember, he tests us. We can't test him. So clearly it's some kind of a test. Did he know the answer to the test before the test came back to him? Who was the test for? Was it for God or was it for Israel? Was it for the 12 men or was it for the entire nation? Who passed the test? How many people passed the test in the nation of Israel? Do you know there's an answer? We'll get to that in a minute. God knew. Easy answer to that question is duh. I've always found it interesting that the Bible records the names of the 12 spies as well as Joshua Hosea. Hosea means desire for salvation. Joshua means the Lord is salvation. And isn't that fantastic because the Lord is salvation. Moses changes his name. Why does Moses change Joshua's name? From desire for salvation to Lord is salvation. Wish we had time. We don't. And i got to repeat. Jesus' actual name is salvation. And Joshua's name is testifying of that. Anyway, as you know, Numbers 13.33, the rebellious spies, which is identified in Numbers 14.9, they gave a bad report, Numbers 13.32, saying to the nation of Israel, now this is the first generation of the nation of Israel that came out of Exodus, right? Saying to the nation of Israel that the land that God promised was a land of death. Not a land of life and milk and honey and prosperity. It was a land of death. That's what they said. They went and scouted the land and they came back and they said to the nation of Israel, this is a land of death where the inhabitants were devoured. The inhabitants of this land are being eaten. See how this connected to vivisection and all that? Animals being eaten. How does he do it? Almost dropped that again. The King James translates the Hebrew word here as okalat, as eaten. So it's a land of death, a land where the inhabitants are eaten. That's what those spies came back and said. Numbers 13, uh, 33. The rebels say that they saw, guess what they saw? When they went in there, they saw something. And everybody says they saw a giant. Oh, no. That's just part of the equation. They saw Genesis 6-4. They saw Nephilim. When they saw these, these beings, they said, that is a Nephilim. And they told Israel, there are Nephilim here. The, what caused the flood is now in Canaan. And how did they know these, these were Nephilim? And yet, if I said it correctly, the, the, correctly, the Hebrew word is ha Nephilim, exactly the word used in Genesis 6-4, identical. And the rebellious spies described the Nephilim, the Anakim, as huge, absolutely huge beings. The men of Israel, they said, were like grasshoppers in comparison to the Nephilim who ate human flesh. That's what their report was. And there exists a significant volume of writings that support the position that the Nephilim were cannibalistic, as does Numbers 13-32. In any event, Israel accuses God of murder and of lying. In other words, you brought us here, and it's not a promised land. You're going to get us all devoured and eaten by these huge Nephilimic beings. We're little grasshoppers. They're going to eat us easily. They have to eat us because the food supply to supply one of these kinds of people is pretty, pretty significant. How long does it take the Nephilim to eat everybody? I want you to think about the significance of Nephilim eating human beings. How, how that, where that is in the Bible, how it fits, why that's my position, because it fits with something. Do you know what it is, smiling lady? Okay, good. Then I have something for 
August 7th. Yay, have fooled one person today. In any event, God is accused by Israel of murder and lying here. And all of the people, let me repeat, all of the people of Israel wept and complained. Now everybody, that's everybody seeking to replace Moses and Aaron. And if you're going to replace Moses and Aaron, how do you replace Moses and Aaron? What's the method? Yeah, that's right. Execute them. We're not, we want new leaders. Bang, bang. You don't get to be, we don't put you in, this is not parliament. We don't have an election. We're going to, we're just going to shoot the two of you or execute the two of you and we're going to have new leaders. We'll pull, we'll pull from one of these ten spies who, who brought us this information. Thank you. Ultimately, uh, let me say this. Who passed the test? Again, let me ask that question. We ask it. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces and Joshua and Caleb tore their clothes. So I got four people out of all of the nation of Israel that said, uh oh, this is bad. And Joshua advocated, and so did Caleb, for going in there. They said, let's go. We can do it. God will do it with us. We got it made. And, but ultimately, the fear of the Nephilim resolves into a 40-year wandering in the, in the desert, and in the wilderness, where the first generation completely dies off because of their what? Unbelief. So fear of the Nephilim is an eventual death march sentence. You're going to march for 40 years, and you're all going to die, except for who? The ones that tore their clothes and fell on their faces. Obvious question now. Is Goliath a Nephilim? The entire nation of Israel, 1 Samuel 17, 11, was greatly afraid of Goliath. And remember that Goliath had brothers, 2 Samuel 21, 18 through 22. How many brothers did he have? Let's count Goliath. And then how many brothers? He's got four. Oh, what do we got again? We got five. So are, they're also called the five lords of the Philistines. So these are the five lords of the Philistines. Are they Nephilim? And then it might explain why David did what? He got well, how many stones? He got five. He, 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 just think of it this way. He, he's got a Remington 300 Magnum bolt action rifle that holds how many shells? He got five. How many is he going to shoot? Yes, you five. See, did David know that there were four brothers? Oh, yeah, of course he did. Were those four brothers there? Oh, absolutely they're there. They're in the Philistine army, and the Philistine army is the Gath regiment or division, whatever you want. This is the Gath people. They're citizens of Gath. Did David expect five against one? I think he did. And that was, a, that was a, a tremendous piece of faith, right? Think about the faith he had. If I'm going up against five, how many stones do I need? I need five. First, or Second Samuel 21, 15 through 22 provides additional information on Philistine giants, uh, which causes more math, because there's never not math, as you know. Ah, uh, for example, how heavy is a shekel? We've got to know how heavy a shekel is. How thick is a weaver's beam? We need to know that in order to figure out how giant the, these, these men were, these Nephilim. Did Israel have bows and arrows? I want to know that. How come if they had bows and arrows, and the evidence is, is that he did, why didn't they fire bows and arrows at this guy, this, this big giant sitting there? Why is he sitting? He arises and attacks uh, David. How far away is he? Why don't they shoot at him with arrows? They don't. I've got I got a thousand guys, a thousand bows, I'll never fire a thousand at it, see if we can hit him in the eye. They don't do that. Why not? Uh oh. Oh, that's the phone? Is it for me? Okay. Did they have swords? More funner questions as I define funner. What was the feet per second velocity of the stone that sank into the forehead of Goliath and how deep is sank? Did it, did it crush his skull and get into his brain matter? How, how, how deep did that bullet and how fast, what was the feet per second? How fast did that stone go? This is a supernatural event. Who's in control of that stone? All David has to do is put it in the sling, and, and that is a supernatural act. And if you disregard that, then you're making, I believe, a tremendous mistake. 
theologically. Did Goliath's helmet, he had a helmet, did it cover his forehead? I always have asked that question for many, many years. Clearly, Jesus Christ, the Davidic line shepherd, kills his, I'm sorry, the Davidic line shepherd king, he kills the beast with the sword of his breath and the brightness of his coming. 2 Thessalonians 2.8. Notice that I have conflated now uh, the death of Goliath and the death of the Antichrist, haven't I? Revelation 19.11-21. The beast was worshipped by the world who took the mark of the beast, Revelation 13.3-10. And the, what did the world say? No one can kill him. No one can make war with him. No one can defeat him. And the entire world... Uh, the ones that did not take the mark, the beast is unkillable and no one can make war with him. The entire world that did not take the mark, they're, in, they're afraid of this dragon-beast combination. This is the seed of the serpent of, the, of old. Revelation 12, 8-9 and Genesis 3:15. Goliath, without dispute, in my opinion, typifies the dragon-beast. The Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ himself, elevates Goliath to the point of placing his cross on the buried skull of Goliath. Why does he do that? So, again, how formidable, formidable was Goliath? How amazing was David's beheading of Goliath? The Israeli army saw that, that huge man, Nephilim, hit with a stone that, pro- that easily broke the sound barrier. So we're going to hear that sound. And it embeds in his forehead... David picks up his sword, cuts his head off with it. Didn't David have his own sword? No, he didn't. And that Israeli army rose up with confidence because they saw a supernatural act. They know, oh, hey, hey, hey. Joshua was right. Caleb was right. This is God doing this. We're going. And they rise up and they they attack. All of their fear is completely gone. Now, I want you to recognize what's going on in Revelation with the dragon beast, the unkillable giant. And I am proposing that we arrive at a conclusion about the size of Goliath. We also need to know the decibel volume of Goliath's voice. How far away was he and how loud was his voice? Because he's cursing God. How loud a voice does he have? I'm going to tell you it's very, very loud and it has induced panic in the Israeli army. After collecting all of the evidence, and we're going to have to collect all the evidence, including Goliath's portrayal of the most powerful created being to ever exist, and that's the dragon beast seed of the serpent. And we got this mystery of the image of the beast to contend with. You know, the beast makes an image, and the false prophet gives it uh, some kind of uh, capability, and that's Revelation 13, 11 through 18. How does that fit here? Because it does. And we have the image of Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel 3. How big is the image of Nebuchadnezzar? It's 90 feet high. Again, how big is this giant? How giant is giant? So we got a great distance to travel yet. And I did not have time today for Bill the Cow's question. Bill the Cow, hi Crazy Becky. Bill the Cow has been ruminating on Satan's strategies, which is a wonderful thing to consider. He's wondering if the Nephilim were the result of an attempt to cause and multiply beings that did not have the capacity to believe God. Let me repeat that. He's wondering if Satan is so involved in Genesis 6-4 that he's trying to create beings that do not have the free will to believe God. So they're automatically, they have no chance of salvation. Yes, ma'am. I agree. Is he trying to manipulate things that are already created? That would be the angels of God, the sons of God, and the, and the uh, daughters of men. So he's not creating, he's manipulating. And so create is the wrong word there. So you are correct. Was he able, it was his intention to manipulate the genetic structures in order to get a being that had no capacity, no free will? Absolutely, you could see that if that was possible, he would certainly pursue it. Is that what he was doing? And So I want you to chew on that for a while because we'll we'll cover it on August 7th. And how's that for a theological question to to think through? Because we're going to need a whole bunch bigger dry erase board. You know, it's a bigger boat. We're going to need a bigger boat. And and Daniel from Anchorage was wondering, he's doing Genesis 3-4, he's got a 3-4 question. He's wondering if Eve rejected Satan's premise and refused to eat the tree of certain death, if she had done that, 
And she had the opportunity, obviously, and the capability, in my opinion. Would that have interrupted? If she rejected Satan's premise and, re- and refused to eat the tree of, the, of certain death, would that have interrupted? Would that have gridlocked the lamb slain from the foundations of the world, Revelation 13, 8? And if it would, okay, now your first instinct is that it would not, right? If it would not interfere, if it would not interrupt, if it would not stop or prevent the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth, why not? Can you answer that question? Did that make sense? You're looking at me like I'm crazy. I am crazy. So, in other words, if you say to the... Daniel's saying, if Eve... He's asking, is if Eve has said no to Satan... Would the plan of salvation have been stopped? And the answer is no, it would not have been stopped. But the question really becomes is why not? What's going on to where that could not happen, uh, but yet there's free will still involved? Did Eve have the free will to do it? Yes. Would that have stopped the plan of salvation? No. Would it have delayed it in any way? No. How is that? How can, how can I get that in, in, into a nice... Uh, package with a bow on it. I would reconcile those things. Okay. You have till August 7th to turn in your papers. Uh, I'll, I'll buy another dry erase board. We'll have five of them in here just to do this equation. We'll, feel, we'll look like John Nash in here. Uh, and, the, and of course we're going to end with Bill Fast, the great Bill. The, the, uh, I shouldn't have used his last name. He doesn't care. Were you weird before you came to Cliffside or did Cliffside make you this way? And I think we have resolved that before. Think about all of that stuff. And do you see how it was all one question? Because it was. I hope Kathleen appreciated it. And and uh, we still have that one question to deal with with five parts. Wait a minute. You said there's four parts. No, there's five. Okay. Go ahead. Shut me off. Hurry. Or I spill 